Some of you may have realized that it's Black History Month. And in honor of that month, I want to preach to you from this subject. Living the gospel leads to racial reconciliation. Living the gospel leads to racial. Now I want you to hear me very carefully. Not hearing the gospel. Living the gospel. Living what you freely receive that you were given something you didn't deserve should lead you to give to others what they don't deserve. Being given something you could not earn should lead you to treat others in a way they may or may not have earned. Living the gospel will lead to racial reconciliation. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the body of Christ. And we ask you just to minister through me today. Let us be one in Christ as you envisioned in this scripture that there would be Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. That all of those distinctives and advantages and supposed disadvantages disappear at the foot of the cross. Make us one, Lord, as you prayed in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen. Praise God. God bless you as you're seated. I wanted to do this real quickly because I don't think I think you would be surprised at the number of nations that are represented here at Northgate. So since we're all seated, I know we have two people from Burundi, Africa here. I know that for a fact. Frank Niragira and Tizzy Stand. Yeah. Tizzy Bandar. Y'all stay standing. Mark Wimberly, aren't you from Great Britain actually born? Hello. All right, hello, stand up, I thought so. <laughs> How many other nations do we have here? I know I... Philippines, two from the Philippines, that's right, Jackie and Mira Luna. Stand up, Philippines. Ah, I, I see back there, I see Adele. Come on, Adele, stand up. From the nation of Vanuatu, right? Nation of Vanuatu. Yeah, Vanuatu. You know where that is? It's right off the coast of Australia. Right? Who else? Who else do we have from another country? Brother Ali. Brother Ali Bandar. Praise God. Who else? Mimi, we have Korea here represented, right? Mimi and Sister Lau. Stand. Yes. Wonderful. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. I know I probably missed someone, but if you, if you have another. Albania. Come on, Albania. Sister Lolo. Right? Lola's not here. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Mexico? Come on, Mexico. Come on, Mexico. Hey! Come on. All right. Belize? Come on, Belize. 
Awesome. I'm glad you see y'all know places I didn't. <laughs> Wonderful. But I love this verse of scripture because it tells us that at their time there were issues. There were issues between Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. There were issues between free and bond. There were issues between male and female. And what I love about the gospel, if we really live it out, it abolishes those distinctions at the foot of the cross. Amen. Amen. The startling truth is Jesus Christ is the answer to all the prejudice, bitterness, hatred, oppression, and inequalities of the earth. He is the answer. Our problem is we look for answers at the top. We want a top-down answer. But the real answer is there's a bottom-up. When he changes your heart, he will change the way you interact with one another, praise God. And it only starts one at a time. Listen, if we can't do it in the church, I have no hope that the government can do it. If you and I can't love one another and can't see the value of one another beyond our differences and realize that what joins us is the blood of a Middle Eastern man that was shed for us, that a Middle Eastern man died for all of us. Hallelujah. I got news for you. Jesus was not white. Sorry. I know, I know the pictures. I know the paintings. But remember, every culture thinks they're superior. So when we had the Renaissance and the Elizabethan age, they just drew him as they were. Right? But he was not. I got bad news for you too. Adam and Eve were not light-skinned people. Do you know that it's genetically impossible to go from two light-skinned people to darker-colored skinned people? But you can too have two dark-skinned people and go to lighter-skinned people. All of us owe our salvation to someone who is probably not like us. So get used to that. All of us had someone not like us stand in our place and said, you know what? Despite the differences, despite all of those things, I love them enough to lay down my life for them, amen? Even though they're not my tribe or my kindred, I'm gonna lay down my life and that should be infectious in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be just him doing it. It should be all of us. Note that phenomenal statement, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every believer stands on equal footing before Jesus Christ, and that's the footing of faith. All of us come to the cross as sinners. That's it. I can't come with anything else. There are no advantages of my upbringing or my family background. I have to come humble myself as a sinner. That's what we have in common, that all of us were sinners. And when we come to that cross, all of us come as sinners. There are no advantages. There are no disadvantages. That's why Jesus says that the tax collectors and the prostitutes enter the kingdom before you, his own people. Why? Because they understood there's no advantages and there are no disadvantages at the cross. All of us come on equal footing. No person is accepted for any other reason other than faith. And if you can have faith, you're my brother or you're my sister. Amen. 
if you can have faith in him and put your faith in him, listen, all of us, it took the same blood to save us and change us. All persons who come to Jesus Christ now come because they come short of his righteousness. Say, all of us come short of it. All of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us come short. And all of us are far less holy than the one who saved us. Amen. And we need someone to reach down and bring us out of the pit and pull us up. Praise God. And we're all imperfect and Jesus Christ reaches out and embraces all believers despite there being so much different than he is. Therefore, when we look at one another and a believer and he or she differs from us, we do not just, we do what Jesus Christ did, right? We love and accept and embrace. Differences do not matter. Amen? They don't matter. They should not affect our love for one another. What he was saying is there's no difference. He, he's not saying there is no difference. He was saying the differences don't matter spiritually. <laughs> See, there's no place in the body of Christ for any kind of prejudice or partiality. There's neither Jew nor Greek. That was their issue at the time. I know ours is different, but you can put white and black in there. You can put white and brown. You can put white and Asian. You can put whatever you want in there. But with Christ, none of those things that seem to be an advantage or privilege are privileged to him. He is no respecter of persons. When he can find somebody humble enough to say, I need you, Lord, and I need change, he said he doesn't look at skin. He didn't look at background. He says, there's somebody who needs my salvation. I'm going to give it to him. He doesn't look over anyone. He's just waiting on someone to say, I need you, Lord. I need you. There's no biblical justification for any kind of partiality. Romans 2.11 says there's no respect of persons with God. If we set ourselves up in partiality to ethnicity or race, we set ourselves above God. Because God, there's no respecter of persons. He doesn't care where we came from or our background. He just wants to know, are you humble enough to admit you need me? If you're humble enough to do that, you can be a part of my family. Praise God. We realize that the law created differences and distinctions not only between individuals and nations, but between various kinds of foods and animals. Jesus Christ came not to divide, but to unite us in one new man. Hallelujah. A new creation in Christ Jesus. The law, this does not mean that our race or our political status or sex has changed at conversion. But it does mean that these things are of no value or a handicap when it comes to our spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. They are no benefit and they are no handicap. I've tried to get this through people's mind for years, but some of us have this idea that there's a stair step at the foot of the cross, you know? You know, down here is me, backslider, drug addict, right? Then you come one step up, you know, and this is... This is the person who, you know, lived for God kind of in and out, but never really got out, you know. And then up here, you got the person who maybe lied a little bit, you know, and stayed out past curfew, but were pretty good. And then up here, you got, you know, the sanctified saints who wouldn't admit to doing anything wrong, even though they did. (laughs) 
I'll just give you one verse from 1 John, if that's you. He that says he has no sin, the truth is not in him. <laughs> but here's what I'm going to tell you. There's no stair step at the cross. We all come guilty of all, praise God. We all come guilty having all the sin and the weight of the law upon us. And you know what? Until you get a hold of that, it will affect your worship. Because if you think you're on one of these upper tiers and someone else like myself is on the lower tier, you think it took less blood and less tribes. Come on now. And it'll affect your worship. But you, when you realize he that stumbles in one point is guilty of all, that'll, that'll transform the way you worship God. I had no hope. But you reached down to me. You died for me. You included me. Everybody else excluded me, God. But you loved me in spite of who I was. And you pulled me out. That'll transform your worship. My God, I stand here today because of what he did for me. Because of who he loved me. And he kept loving me and kept picking me up. superior Christian privileges no matter what our spiritual cultural background a beautiful example of this is seen in the book of Philemon where Paul converts a servant who's escaped his master and when he writes Onesimus he says I want you to accept Philemon as a dear brother his status has changed he said, be Christ and been born again of the water and the spirit. Now when he comes back to you, he is a dear brother. Hallelujah. You can't treat him as less anymore. You can't look down on him anymore. I want you to accept him. Paul said, I could, he said, I could command you to do it, but I'm asking you to do it out of love because of who has loved him. That's what holds us together is the blood of Christ that was spilt for us. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, he says, Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For, I love this verse. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If his weakness brought us forgiveness what shall his resurrection strength bring in our transformation if his death when he was at his least he could still save us and forgive us now that he's been born oh hallelujah and lifted from the grave what shall his power in us do to transform our heart and our thinking and our prejudice and our blind spots it can do it verse 19 he goes on for as though one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Speaking of Adam, even so through the obedience of one, the many shall be made righteous. Hallelujah. That's my favorite verse right there. Because that's the theology. You say, where is your faith? My faith is in what he did. My faith is not in my ability to perform. My faith is, is not in my obedience, praise God. My faith is in his perfect obedience. 
Through one man's obedience. Whose? Jesus' obedience. We were all made righteous, praise God, those who believe by faith. So that means, yes, I fall, but my faith is not in my walk and my performance. My faith is in he who died and, and lived righteously to save me, praise God. See, I've never understood people who, who don't have assurance because when God got this over to me, he said, I took your punishment at the cross. As long as you walk by faith, I know it'll be imperfect. I know it'll be inconsistent. I know you'll fall down. But if you get up and keep walking by faith, you're going to be okay. Because why? My perfection makes up for your imperfection. My perfect consistency... That's all right. You can turn the lights out on me. It's all right. Fish to get excited. Because the assurance is in my faith in him. And some people have never put their full weight on him. They really never have. And they don't have any assurance. And they think it's kind of this back and forth thing, you know. Well, today I was good going to heaven. Well, this moment I did something wrong. Going to hell. Going to heaven. Going to hell. Hell, hell, hell. Heaven, heaven, heaven. My God. I, I, that's my life. I don't know how yours is. You know what I mean? Sometimes there are more steps to hell than heaven. I'm trying to be honest. All right? I, I lived like that for a long time in my walk with God. I did. I lived like that. And then God showed me, he said, Brent, he said, it's, it's corrupted your worship. I said, yeah, how so? He said, he said, man, when you've been praying and you fought off temptation, he said, you're an awesome worshiper. <laughs> he said, but when you failed and you haven't prayed like you should and you haven't been studying like you think you should, he said, you're a terrible worshiper. <laughs> he said, you know what that tells me? He said, your worship is about you. It's not about me. He said, I ain't falling off the throne. He said, I ain't sinned. I hadn't failed to keep my promises for you. I still love you. I still care about you. I hadn't quit on you. What are you so down in the mouth about? He said, that's idolatry. Your worship is about you. You need to understand something. You're worshiping a God who's done something for you that you will never achieve, praise God. And that ought to be the source of your worship that you could never earn, that you were never good enough for. But thanks be to God, because of this Middle Eastern man who shed his blood, all of us are one in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus. <laughs> See, as Adam's sin brought condemnation and death to all in Adam, so Jesus' act of righteousness brought justification and life to those who believe. A.H. A. Strong said this, as there is one source of spiritual life in Christ, so as there is one source of a corrupt life in Adam. But do you realize something? He is our advocate and our judge. The Bible says he, he, we have an, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Well, he certainly, when we sin, we're wrong. So he can't lie about our actual condition, right? <laughs> he wouldn't lie about that. So what does he do as our advocate? Right? 
He says, well, they put their faith in me and I won the battle over death, hell, and the grave. And because their faith is in me, I stand in front of them and my righteousness covers them. And there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Some people have never got a hold. There is no condemnation. Some people read the next phrase and they think it's a condition of the first. It is not. It is the lifestyle people who have a non-condemnation status. They walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. That's right. Because of what we've got for free, out of gratitude, I live for him. Hallelujah. Because I didn't deserve it, I can give it to people who may or may not deserve it. Praise God. Because I wasn't good enough, I can give it to people who others may not think are good enough. Amen. That's what should happen. It should change our heart and the way we treat others. Christ's obedience secured righteousness and eternal life for all those who would put their faith in him. When we were born into Christ, we were legally become one in Christ in God's sight, partaking of Christ's obedience. Now watch this. It, as, it says when we were baptized, we died with Christ. It, when we are baptized and we merge our faith with him, God sees us as he sees Christ. He knows we need to grow, don't get me wrong. But we have a status with him. Now, as adopted sons and daughters. You think about that. God adopted you. Legally. Made you his heir and his joint heir. <laughs> I know there are probably some people here who who struggle with infertility and the difficulty of trying to have a baby, may have gone through an adoption process. Our good friend uh, who pastors in Florida and Tampa with Ken, he, he went through adoption thing overseas, and unfortunately, the people were not honest. And I think he had a bunch of money invested there. It didn't work out. Ultimately, adopted a, another baby. But that's got to be a difficult process. But could you imagine... Waiting and going through the process and the legal battles and the money that has to be invested, bringing home that little baby and it starts toddling and it disobeys and you just lock the door and say, sorry, you can't live here anymore. But some of us live like God is like that. Do you see what it cost him to bring us into his family? No, when we, when we sin, sin doesn't break the relationship. It negatively affects fellowship. Right? How many are married, right? You have, a, you, have a, you have a little fuss and a little fight. You don't go file for divorce. Now, you may not have much fellowship for a while. But you still have a relationship. Amen? Are you with me? And so if you, being evil, know how to forgive your spouse and make right, then he that was magnanimous enough to die for us knows how to bring us back into right relationship with him. What you feel when you sin is distance from God, not a divorce from God. Amen? What you sense is that we are far off from him. See, all our responsibilities rest upon him and all his merit is accrued to us. Just as Adam's sin is charged to us without us having actually committed it in the flesh, so Christ's righteousness is as much ours had we performed it ourselves. It is as though we were 
the ones who died on the cross. God sees the believer in Christ's merit, Christ's power, not one's own merit and ability. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <laughs> Jesus takes on our, our sin upon himself even though he did not commit sin. While, he, while we take the righteousness upon ourselves even though we did not perform it. You starting to grasp it now? Humankind's reconciliation to God warranted drastic action. It cost Jesus his life. The social and racial reconciliation we seek and desperately need in America comes at a cost. And it is crucifying our flesh. It costs Jesus his flesh. And if we are going to build a multicultural church, which I believe we are already building, it's going to come at the cost of our flesh, at the cost of our preference, at the cost of what I, the way I think it should be done, at the cost of how I think or how I would like it to be. Hey, we got room for everybody. You like Southern Gospel? Praise God. We'll get to that. Amen. Whatever you like. You like hymns? We'll do some of that. Praise God. But what's more important than those things, our preference, is that we are united together in a body, worshiping together. That is a witness to the world. The world that can't pull it together. The government that can't make enough laws to make it happen. We have to be the witness that it can't happen. That what we have in common is greater than what would separate us. See, racial reconciliation Without such a commitment to self-denial, it's just a band-aid to the problem. When Peter, for example, stopped associating with Gentiles at table fellowship in Antioch because of their identity as Gentiles and because some Jews came in, Paul says his behavior was out of step with the gospel. Now this is powerful hermeneutic that you understand. Paul says your behavior is out of step with the gospel. Watch this. It's in Galatians 2, 11. He said, when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Let me say something. Don't make any jokes around here. Don't, don't do that. Because I will be Paul to your Peter. We don't do that. We don't make fun. We don't put down. Uh -uh, we lift up. We encourage. Praise God. We don't feel superior. We understand we're all sinners in a process of being changed. And so just because I'm a little further ahead doesn't mean I wasn't there at one time. And I understand the struggle. I understand you can't judge people based on where they are. You got to know where they started from. Hey, I'm a long way from where I started from. I'm a lot different than where I started from. I'm not who I need to be, but praise God, I'm not who I used to be. So is everyone in this building. They're in a process of changing. They're in a process of becoming. Encourage them to be all they can be in Christ. He says in verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when the Jews arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Boy, Paul is deadly, isn't he? 
You think I'm hard? <laughs> Paul is deadly. I mean, this is, this is a guy that preached the, 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 the day of Pentecost message, right? It's the leader of the church at Jerusalem. Paul says, I make no difference to me, bro. If you're wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> I love that. You're wrong. <laughs> he said, I ain't, I'm afraid to embarrass you. Oh, we should take you off in another room. He said, no, you're doing this in public. I'm going to do it in public. He said, you separate yourself in public? All right, then. <laughs> he says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. That's our problem. It's not that we hadn't heard it and received it. We don't know how to live it out. Because the gospel means there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus because we've been baptized and bought by the same blood and then filled with the same spirit. See, if churches desire to offer any help to those enslaved in bad racist ideologies, ideologies, they must first see the gospel as the basis for a response. Paul used the gospel. He said, you don't realize what you've received. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Nor do they. You need to step up and walk in line with the gospel. See, the impact of racism on the church is evident by either a lack of ethnic diversity of certain congregations or a lack of sincere familial Christ-like love for one another from different backgrounds. The lack of racial harmony in the church is partly due to the culture's influence on Christians. I am not going to let this culture influence me more than my Savior. I want you to understand that. Not going to let it. They can fight and they can fuss and they can feel like they're trying to do it, but I am influenced by the gospel. The gospel is the thing that binds us together. If the answer is found in the gospel, why have Christians so often be on the wrong side of this? I don't know. Too often we do not live out the gospel we proclaim. That's our problem. We can hear it, we can receive it, we can be benefactors of it, but it doesn't get into our lifestyle. Cultural norms and sinful patterns crowd out the liberating message that Jesus taught. Even as Christians, we easily forget about the good news and live by another norm. But our failure to live constantly by the gospel does not mean we should abandon the gospel as the answer. It's still the answer. It's still the answer. We have to get back to the gospel. We have to get back to that person we were when we came and we had no hope and we stood here at an altar trembling because we knew we were lost and we didn't have any way to get out of it. But we were just hoping, praise God, that he would accept us and forgive us and wash us and we believe what the preacher said. We have to get back to that person who first experienced it and was ready to tell everybody about it. Anybody that would listen, anybody that would give us an ear, we would tell them about it. But the gospel, once again, calls us to confess our sins and repent of evil and commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. Our fundamental task is not to become one, but to live out the oneness that has already been accomplished through the death of Jesus Christ. To live it out. We are brothers and sisters because we belong to Jesus Christ. May we live out that glorious gospel. May the world know that we are Christians by our love toward one another. See, in the gospel, there is no superiority. In the gospel, there is no color. We were equal in creation and equal in redemption. 
Let's not forget that the early church was multi-ethnic with Jews and Gentiles. Just take a look at the list of those nations present in Acts 2 who God poured the Spirit out the second time and 3,000 of them received the Holy Ghost. Watch this. In verse 9 of Acts 2, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. That was God's purpose. He brought them all there, all these differing nations, so that he could pour out his spirit and he can reverse the curse of Babel. Remember what happened at Babel. They all, those nations got together in the plain of Shinar and they said, we're gonna make a name for ourselves and we're gonna build a temple that reaches to God and we're gonna get God to come down on our terms. And God said, no, it doesn't work that way. And he confused their language. That's why these nations are representative there because those are the nations that were dispersed and confused. But now he brings them back and pours out the spirit. And now they are brothers and sisters because they all speak with an unknown tongue. Hallelujah. They all speak. Praise God. Some in the known, some in the unknown. Remember that Africans such as Simon and Lucius of Cyrene and the Simon of Cyrene carried Jesus' cross. The man who carried the crossbar, crossbar was probably brown or black. The Ethiopian eunuch that Philip met He's reading Isaiah 53. He said, is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip got into his chariot and began to explain to him the gospel. <laughs> he said, here is water. What doth hinder thee? Hallelujah. He began to baptize him. You know that that guy went into his country. That's why there's such a great revival to this day in the country of Ethiopia. You know where the gospel and the apostolic truth is growing the most? South, South America and Africa right now. That's the fastest growing places of the gospel. You better get on board, praise God, because that's where it's growing. That's where God's bringing people from. That's where he's pouring out his spirit. That's where the miracles are. Those are the fastest growing places of the gospel. You and I have to get on board because God is bringing everyone into the church in these last days. There's no God, that's no accident. God's unshakable and irresistible goal for people is that every tongue, every tribe, every nation should worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's his desire. Isn't it interesting when we get into the book of Revelation, chapter 7 and verse 9. And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no man could number from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They all had one thing in common. They'd been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Their identity, praise God, was superseded by the white robe that they wore in the presence. And they all had brown branches in their hands, waving them to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Prejudice and racism is more than a social problem. It's a sin. It's a moral problem. Racism is sin because it presents Christians who harbor it in their attitudes and actions. It prevents them from obeying Jesus' command to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. 
what if my neighbor's Muslim? Well, there's no, there's no exception for that. <laughs> what, if, what if my neighbor has a, has a different persuasion about life than me? There's no exception for that. See, Jesus understood this well. He said, he said, when you have a party, he said, don't invite your friends who will re-invite you. Right? He said, invite those that will never invite you. Invite the homeless. Invite the people on the street. Invite the people that can't afford to throw a party. He said, if you don't do this, he said, what more do you do than the unsaved? Right? He said, what do you do more than the unsaved? They, they invite their friends and they reciprocate. He said, invite people who can't reciprocate. That's the gospel. Hallelujah. That's what it should do in our lives. Racism is also sin because it has its roots in pride and arrogance. Let me tell you something. The first problem is pride. And if you don't think you think you're superior to people, wait till they offend you and wound you. Because before you can be superior about your background, you have to first be superior about yourself. Oh, understand this. That's the first problem. We have to be superior about ourselves. So how many of you have ever done this? Somebody, you know, messed you over, lied to you, deceived you, plotted, backbite you, you know. Smile on the face. All time want to take your place. Right? You know what I'm talking about. I wish I could sing it like Derek, you know, but hey, he ain't got an Isley brother voice anyway. You don't know who that is. Can't help him. He's from Louisiana. You, you can't hold that against him. Yeah, you know, and I, I hear people say this, I would never do that to them. That's superiority. I would never do that to someone else. And that's what keeps you harboring your unforgiveness is because you feel superior. I got bad news for you. You did it to someone far more innocent than them. You did it to Jesus. That was your sin. That was your hatred. That was your preference that was placed upon him at Calvary. So you are not superior. We are all sinners. Our sins made different, different kinds, but they're all sin. And we need forgiveness by the same God. Hallelujah. See, before you can feel any pride for your group or anything else, you have to feel pride about you. And God resists the proud. In a way, because pride and arrogance are part of what motivate prejudice, Satan can be seen as the originator of these tendencies toward tribalism and racism. The following observation on racism will stand the test of time. Man said this, he said, we can't fight racism in all its forms until we realize that racism is not a black or white problem. It's a sin problem. When we act in a presidential, presidential way toward others, we actually glorify Satan. Because that's what he wants to do. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and divide, and conquer the body of Christ. Let me hurry. 
The world can only be convinced that the church is a better alternative when the church constantly revisits and evaluates itself on the basis of John 13, 34 through 35. We have to constantly evaluate ourselves. It is not about the quality of the service. People go, ooh, that was a great service. That's not how you evaluate if the church is doing well. Jesus said this, a new command I give you. He'd already said love one another as you love yourself. This is, he goes a step further. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The truth of a great church is not just the moving of the Spirit, but how we behave toward one another when the service is over. Who we greet. Who we migrate to. Amen. One way Jesus demonstrated his love for his followers was that he broke the walls of division, embraced his disciples as his brothers and sisters, irrespective of their background, or from Nazareth, or from Galilee. In Matthew chapter 12, they said, Behold, your brothers and your sisters and your mother. And he said, Who is my brother and my sister? Now watch Jesus say this. He said, They that do the will of my father are my brothers and my sisters. He said, not just those who are kin to me by blood, but even his disciples took precedence over his blood kin. I wish we could live that out. I wish we could live that out. It is my conviction that when the gospel becomes truly central to the church's members' lives, ethnic, tribal, and racial tensions in the church will no longer have the upper hand. They will not. I believe that the gospel can heal it. Only the power of God through the gospel can cleanse the church from the human prejudice as it did the early Christians. Remember Peter? <laughs> He's in a trance and he sees a vision and this big tablecloth comes down with all these unclean foods in it, right? And the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He said, not so, Lord, that hadn't touched my lips. I'm superior to that. Right? Drops down another time. Three times he has to. And what God has to say finally is, call not common what I have cleansed. And he said, I want you to go to a man that's not of your tribe, not of your background. And I want you to preach the gospel to him. But I'm going to tell you, it was so in the heart of a man who had the Holy Ghost that it took three things and somebody knocking at his door to corroborate what he had just seen for him to go. Understand that the early church in Jerusalem, it took them 12 years finally for persecution to happen so they would spread out and get the gospel out because it was comfortable there and everybody liked what they liked and all the preferences were right and all the background was right. But God finally had to say, you know what, if you won't go, then I'll bring persecution in your life so that I'll spread you out to all the nations of the earth so you'll finally get the message out. It's crucial for us to be a positive witness, especially in this hour. I watch the news just like you. I read the headlines just like you. But I believe in the power of God to change our old crusty beliefs I believe it could change hard hearts I believe it could change years of injustice I believe that the power of the gospel is greater than the power of old old things in our history I'm not proud of all of it but it was there and I can't go back and change it all I can do is outlive it in the present 
All I can do is outlive it in the present. I wish I could. All I can do is say, I don't excuse, I don't make my excuse for it, but I stand here today. Some of you may not know this story. I only shared it with a small group one time. And I don't recommend this, okay? But I've been fighting racism my whole life. You may not believe that. Not toward me, but toward my friends. I grew up in East Cleburne. It was only two white families in that whole neighborhood and two Hispanic families in that whole neighborhood. And I saw my friends experience racism and things of that nature. And I'll never forget, I was a senior in high school and a friend of mine, I'll tell you his name in private, but I won't do it over online, came to me. And this happened multiple times. That in that time, you're talking about the 80s, okay, I know things have changed a lot, but that's a long time ago. And he said, it was a lot of my friends who, who had to date their white girlfriends in secret. Only because of the color of their skin, not because they were bad people. So he came to me and he said, me and my girlfriend are celebrating our one year anniversary. We've been, you know, hiding that from the parents who don't approve. He said, would you go and pick her up for me? And uh, so we can celebrate our one year anniversary. I said, sure. Go in there and meet the parents. They take my truck and go on their little anniversary thing. They get pulled over in Joshua for speeding. And it's not their car. And the man who I'd met earlier on a, proposed, on a supposed date with his daughter goes to pick up his daughter at the police department and I'm not there. Now, I'm not recommending you do this, okay? <laughs> not, not trying to subvert parents, but I'm just telling you. I knew what the issue was. And so, the next Monday, my head coach brings me into a room by myself, and he's like, what are you doing? Because this guy was a detective in the Cleburne Police Department, and he had chewed out my head coach about what I did. Why are you doing, idiot? And so he said, I think I'm going to have to suspend you from the team. And I said, well, you need to tell all my friends from the east side that play on this team why you're suspending me. From the team. You need to bring all them in here. And say that you're supporting. This view. That some people shouldn't be belong together. Because they have a different skin color. We can play for your team. We can win you championships. But they can't date your daughter. Thank God that things are changing. But I'm here to tell you today that we still have a long way to go in our culture and in our world. We have a long way to go. And if we can't do it here, I have no hope that they can do it in the larger culture. If the power of God is not great enough 
to make us embrace one another and love one another and look beyond our differences. I don't know how our world is going to do it. And I don't know how some of us are going to go to heaven with that group of people from every tribe and tongue and kindred when we feel uncomfortable. I don't know how you're going to be in that choir when everybody else that's there is probably praising God in a different language next to you. But I just want you to know that as long as I'm the pastor, we're going to love one another, we're going to put our preferences aside, and we're going to have church, and we're going to worship, we're going to pray for one another, and God is going to give us revival from every kindred nation and tongue. Stand with me all over the building. 